0: Well, good morning everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here as we continue on and really close off our series called Choose Kindness, which has really been all about that. Practicing kindness, choosing to actually live out kindness, choosing to live our lives really in line with the heart of God. And that's where this whole sermon series began with us realizing that the heart of God is this concept called hesed, of loyal, loving kindness. And then last week we took a look at how you can actually live that out. And then through the book of Proverbs, we looked at how we're called to cut out really barriers to kindness, of how we should choose kind friends and be a kind friend. And then I hope you actually have found a kindness commitment, a way to remind yourself to practice it. And today, to close off this series, we want to take a look at the life of Jesus and actually the practice of Jesus. And today what we want to explore is how he, in his own life, was actually moved and directed by compassion. That whenever Jesus felt compassion, he actually acted. And we want to take a look at this. But before we do, I want to just jump into one other concept to help us to understand kindness, empathy, compassion. All of these things are intertwined. I want us to teach us what compassion really is. So compassion, I think when we come to think of it in our modern day and age, we tend to think of compassion or kindness as like an on-off switch. That either you have it or you don't. That either you practice it or you don't. We tend to think of it, if I can put it in this way, in binary terms but that's actually not how compassion or kindness actually functions. Kindness or compassion is not really like an on or off switch that you turn it on or off. It's actually more like a dial that you can either turn up or turn down. Jamil Zaki, who we've been quoting throughout the series, he says it this, he says, in any given moment, we can turn our empathy up or compassion or our kindness up like a volume knob on a stereo. He says, learning to listen to a difficult colleague or staying strong for a suffering relative, over time, he says, we can fine-tune our emotional capacities, building compassion for distant strangers, outsiders, and even other species. His point is that we can actually fine-tune our compassion. And I think what we see when we come to Jesus is somebody who has absolutely fine-tuned his compassion. That when he feels deep compassion, we're going to show that, that he acts, that he moves in response to it. And I think that we're called to do this as well. Now, I know... I know sometimes some people might even object that uh, in our current day and age, that our emotions aren't always true. And this is is actually true as well. That what we know psychologically, um, sociologically, and theologically is that our emotions can actually lead us astray sometimes. They don't always tell us everything that is true in any given moment. But what Jesus will show us is how, when it comes to our emotions, we aren't to avoid them. We aren't to ignore them. And we're not simply to just follow them recklessly. Instead, we're, let, we're to let our emotions guide us in the right kinds of actions we are to take. To really point us in the direction that our action should go. Because what Jesus does is he shows that he feels these emotions deeply. He actually then responds to them and lets them guide them. And I wanna show you that from the text. I wanna show you today by uh, how Jesus responds to ki- uh, kindness and compassion. And uh, to do that, I need to give you one new word uh, for this series, okay, and it's called uh, splangnizomai, okay, splangnizomai, which I know as soon as you say it, splangnizomai, it doesn't sound as beautiful as the word hesed, and honestly, honestly, its definition isn't as beautiful as hesed, until you understand what it's talking about. The one-word definition, which may be the one-sentence definition in Greek for the word splangnizomai, which may be the single best one-sentence description ever, what this word means, splangnizomai, is to have your bowels yearn. That's what it means, okay, So if you have a parent of somebody who's in junior high, they can make jokes about this for like the entire week, okay? Like this is a kind of a strange concept, to have your bowels yearn. But here's what it means at a layer deeper, because what we often do and attribute in our day and age is that when we talk about our emotions, we talk about them residing in our hearts, actually, right? But this wasn't true in Jesus' day and age. This wasn't true for Jewish people, that the center of your will was in your heart, but the center of your emotions was often also in your gut, actually, So what this word means by mesomai, it means to feel something so deeply, it means to be moved by someone or an encounter or to experience something so deeply that you're moved physically in your body, like viscerally, like that you have a reaction to it, that a good way to translate it in English is that you're like punched in the gut. That's what this word means. It means to actually be encountered with something that you're punched in the gut with compassion, with pity, with mercy, with sympathy, with co-suffering love. That's what this word means. That means that you are moved so deeply by compassion, moved in your soul, in your spirit, but really in your body, in your bones. That's what this word is going on. This word is not a weak word. This word is a strong word. This word is where you encounter something so deeply that really it's like a gut punch of compassion. That's what this word means, Spelling And we want to notice how this is the word that is most consistently attributed to Jesus. That when it talks about how Jesus interacts and moves in the gospels, this is the word that most frequently describes him, that he is moved deeply in his body, in his bones or in his gut with compassion. I want to show you from a number of different verses here today. So I want to begin uh, just in Matthew 20, verse 29. It says this, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd flou- followed behind them. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was uh, coming uh, that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. But listen what the crowd does. The crowd yells at them, be quiet. Because sometimes those most in uh, need of mercy actually have their voices silenced. That's what's going on here. And the crowd yelled out to them, but they only shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And when Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. And Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes and instantly they could see and they followed him. Now that phrase there where he felt sorry for them, that's our word spelling nizamai. And what it really means is that he was really like hit in the gut with compassion. That when he saw the plight of these two individuals, he was moved deeply in his body, his soul, his spirit, that his entire being went out to them in compassion. That's the force of this word. That's why it's a little bit misleading to just say that he felt sorry for them. It's so much deeper than that, actually. We read of the same kind of interaction and encounter in, the, uh, in Mark. A uh, man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. He said, moved with compassion, which is a really good translation of this word. Moved with compassion. Actually, maybe like responding deeply out of compassion. It says he reached out. Jesus reached out and touched him and says, I am willing and be healed. This is how Jesus responds. That when he feels compassion towards someone, when he is kind of hit with that gut punch of compassion and kindness, when he sees someone deeply in need, his heart goes out to them. That's how we talk about it in English. We would say here in our modern day, his heart goes out to them. But for Jesus in his day and age, he would have talked about his body, his gut goes out to them. That's what's going on. And so Jesus heals this man. You might notice actually in your Bibles, it might say some of the earlier transcripts said moved with anger um, because these two emotions, compassion and anger, can sometimes actually run parallel. That when you see something that is so unjust, so wrong, that you're moved both with anger against the injustice, but compassion for the person in need, that's what we see in Jesus. We see this again, the same theme of Jesus interacting and being moved by compassion in Matthew 14, 14. It says this, um, when Jesus came across a multitude of people who were hungry, hurting, and sick, And what do we read? That Jesus saw the crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. This kind of compassion that Jesus feels deep within his body, it's one that always leads to action and never just stays static. It doesn't just leave him idle. It actually propels him forward. It actually directs him. We see this again, one chapter over, where we read that Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't wanna send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. And there that phrase where Jesus says, I feel sorry for these people is quite likely the worst translation the NLT has ever done. Because that makes it sound like he's like, oh, that's too bad for them. That's not what's going on. That's that word, where he feels this so deeply within his body, soul, and spirit, that he must act. That he's like punched in the gut with a a drive and emotion of compassion and pity all churning together, that he feels the need to act. That's what's going on here. This is why older translations do a really good job when they translate this word moved with compassion. Because Jesus doesn't feel sorry. He feels this strong emotional mixture deep within his body of compassion, sympathy, co-suffering, love. That's what's going on here when he says um, that he feels compassion or he felt sorry for them. So this is the expectation of Jesus, that when he feels these feelings deep within him, these emotions, this compassion, he actually then steps out and leads and moves and responds to the needs that are around him. Spagnesomai, as a word, is directly tied to the action of Jesus. That never once in the Gospels do we read of Jesus feeling this and then not acting. So we can put it this way, that whenever Jesus feels this gut punch of compassion, he responds to it, he acts to it, he actually moves to meet the need. This is what um, Jesus does. And then that shouldn't be a big of a stretch for us to understand this. That if this is how Jesus lives. This is also how we are to live as well. That when we feel a punch of compassion, that when we see somebody in need, we're actually called to move and respond. Jesus actually teaches this in two parables where he gives us really examples for us to follow. The one parable is really well-known that we mentioned even last week. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I want to read to you what happens and what Jesus says, um, the famous story of the Good Samaritan. It says that a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, a man who was broken and beaten by robbers and was left to die on the side of the road, it says this, he felt compassion for him. But again, that word is It is this deep urge to go and to meet and to help somebody in need. And the good Samaritan then goes on and he does this and he cares for him and he is praised. And Jesus says, this is how we are to act, go and do likewise. That we are to actually not only feel compassion, we are to act in response to that feeling. We're act out of that feeling. We're actually to follow that feeling and let it direct us towards action. We see this again in the parable of the prodigal son, the same kind of pattern of someone feeling compassion and then acting on it. We read this, that when the uh, prodigal son was returning to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Remember, um, in this story, in this parable, if you're not familiar with it, what ends up happening is the younger son says to his dad, I, I, I just wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. I'm just cutting off every single aspect of our relationship. It is incredibly brutal. It is final, right? But yet the father's been watching. And then listen to what it says. And the father, filled with love and compassion, filled with spying and eyes, filled with this, like, this feeling that is deep within his body, that is visceral and reacting. It says this, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. That what we see in Jesus and what we see in his teaching is that compassion leads to action. Okay? That's the first thing I just want to remind us of, that compassion leads to action. That Jesus, as a perfect son- sinless son of God, he feels these feelings deeply and he lets them actually direct him towards action. That it says that he feels this deep within his body and his bowels and his gut and that he moves in response. I think we're called to do the same thing. I want to notice this a little bit deeper in two specific passages that I want to pay a bit more attention to. Then now we have a bit more of an understanding of the word and how it's played out in the Gospels. I want to look a little bit deeper. I want to read to you in Mark 6 and Matthew 9. I want to begin in Mark 6, just noticing Jesus feeding the crowds and how that this matters for us. It says this, And Jesus saw the crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. Again, there's that, that, that word. He had compassion on them. He was moved to compassion. It says why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And here we can guess what he is teaching them because these are the similar things that Jesus has taught large crowds throughout it. What Jesus teaches to a large crowds is that the kingdom of God is here, that they are included, that God is for them. I imagine these are the similar things he's saying. And he does this out of compassion. Late in the afternoon though, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. He said, go find out. And they uh, came back and they reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus took, told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he, gave, uh, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided fish for everyone to share and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up about 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and families and their families were fed. This is an amazing story, and there is so much that we could get into today, but I wanna look at it through this lens of compassion, of being moved with kindness. And what I think we can notice is a few things. That first, Jesus is moved by compassion, that what leads him into his interaction with these people. But then what we also see is that we see the disciples as well of noticing the need, right? They notice that these people are hungry. They notice that there needs to be something that is done. They notice a need, but it doesn't say that they felt compassion. And what we notice with them actually is that when they see the need, what is their response? Their response is actually to distance themselves from the people. Their response isn't to go to the people. It's actually to release them, to kind of push them away. They say this, right? Go tell them to go find something to eat. They're essentially outsourcing their responsibility. They see a need, but they're like, we're not responsible for this. We're going to invite them to just go and do what they need to do to find food. Jesus, though, has a very, very different response, right? Um, He says to them, notice with me, you feed them. That's what he says, you feed them. You feed them. There is a need. And the disciples are there and Jesus authorizes them to step into that moment, to be moved just like he is with compassion for the people around him. But the disciples, the disciples don't have, can we put it this way, the imagination even to even believe this. This is their response. They say, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Jesus directly tells them what to do, but they're like, we can't do this. This isn't a possibility. There's no way to be able to do this. Latin American liberation theologians, they often call this kind of moment a crisis of imagination. That sometimes we are so locked into how things are that we can't even see how things might be. We can't even see how God might move. We can't even see some of the potential miracles that are right in front of us. And so Jesus, Jesus then has this interesting little uh, conversation with him. And he goes and tells him to find some bread, find some fish. And then we read what happens next. He took the the two uh, loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and Jesus blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, follow with me. He kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. So I have an obvious kind of question. Who feeds the people? Who feeds the people? You could say Jesus because absolutely without him, the people would not be fed. But really, who is the people who are actually feeding the people? It's the disciples, aren't they? right? Jesus is involving them in this moment. Jesus is training them in this moment. Jesus is then sending them and discipling them in this moment. I think what is happening here for what Jesus is doing is not only a miracle for all the people, it's also a miracle for the disciples that he is training them in acts of compassion. That's what's going on here. He's inviting them into what God is doing. He clearly is moved by compassion and then he allows the disciples to continue to partake in this act of compassion to meet the needs around them. What I think is really clear in this story, and there's so much more we can get into, but that Jesus wants us to act with compassion to the needs around us. He sees the needs. The disciples, though, can't imagine a way to figure it out, to actually meet it, but under Jesus' direction, they can, and they do, and they're able to have this amazing miracle where all of a sudden 5,000 people are fed out of this real feeling and gut punch of compassion. The last section I want to take a look at is in Matthew 9, 35. It also is a very famous passage in relation to evangelism. But I think it's because we don't know this word, splegnesomai, and because we then don't interpret it through that lens. I want to read it to you and then talk a little bit about it. It says this, that Jesus traveled through the towns and the villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, there's our word again, he had compassion for them. You cannot overestimate how strongly Jesus feels compassion. This is a part of who he is. It says he has compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd that they are people who are struggling, they're under oppression, they have diseases. Jesus shows up with the kingdom of God and good news and has compassion on the people around him. And then he said to his disciples, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, right? Like the need is great. The people out there who need him and need Jesus is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers out into the fields. Now, often when this passage is preached, is preached from the perspective of evangelism, that we need to go out and share the good news with our family, friends, and neighbors. And let me be clear with this. We unquestionably do need to go out and share the good news with our family, friends, and neighbors. This needs to happen. But what often happens in this passage is we forget the lead up. We forget what prompts Jesus to say these words. We forget what prompts Jesus to say, yes, we need more people to actually lead others towards Jesus. And what prompts him is compassion. That's what it is, because what does it say? It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And then he said to the disciples, we need more workers because the need is so great. The people are so great. The need out there needs to be met. That Jesus prays this prayer, follow with me. And he teaches the disciples to pray this prayer for there to be more disciples, for there to be more people because of his compassion. This is what we have sometimes missed, especially in the North American Evangelical Western Church, is that when it comes to evangelism, we somehow sometimes split like soul and body, like person and physical needs. This is not true, that Jesus sees the people, their physical needs, their material needs and real uh, reality. He sees them, has compassion on them, and then says we need more people to go out and to share the good news because we need to be doing both things. So what do we learn from this passage? What I think we learn is not only the absolute necessity of evangelism, that for sure is so unquestionably clear, but that that is driven by a heart of compassion and that any evangelism that isn't driven by a heart of compassion for the needs that people have right in front of them, it's just missing the point. Because what does Jesus say? He saw them. He saw and healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So what does this all mean for us today? Because I know we've covered a lot of different passages. I know we've gone over a lot of different things. There's another word for you, not only hesed, loyal, loving, cogniz, but it's right, to have, uh, be moved in your bowels, or really to have a gut punch of compassion. That's how we should understand it. What does this mean for us? Well, I think what this means for us is really clear is two things. First, that what we see, what we see really clearly is that Jesus is moved by compassion, right? Jesus is moved by compassion. And this Like here's your Bible nerd insight for today. If Jesus is moved by compassion, guess who else is? God, correct? Right, God is moved by compassion. Someone should say amen to that, that God is moved by compassion because what we as Christians affirm is that Jesus is the full revelation of God. So when Jesus shows us how consistently that when he feels compassion, he is moved to action, this is also who God is. So what this teaches us is a little bit about who God and Jesus is. That God and Jesus is someone who is moved by compassion deep within his body, soul, and spirit. Here's another little Bible nerd insight for today, okay? That if Jesus was moved by compassion, he is still moved by compassion today. Right? That he's still moved by compassion. That when he sees our broken world, when he sees the struggles that you and I are going through, he is moved by compassion. He has that gut punch within him and he is then moved towards action. That is what we know biblically. So that is also what we know he is acting historically today, right now in this moment. So what it teaches us, this idea of, of, that we've taken a look at of compassion, of being moved with compassion, is that this is at the heart of Jesus. Okay. That whenever Jesus feels it, he acts. What I think it also teaches us though, what it also teaches us is that this is who we're called to be. Right? Because as Christians, we not only confess and affirm that Jesus fully reveals who God is, he also fully reveals who we are to become like. That we're to become like Jesus. We're to become Christ-like, which is just another way of saying we're to become holy. That holiness looks like being moved with compassion. That's what holiness looks like because that's what Jesus looks like. So what does this all mean for us today? Well, here's my main point. Okay? My main point is pretty simple. Is that if Jesus was moved by compassion, we need to be as well. That if Jesus was moved by compassion, we need to be as well. That we need to be people who turn that dial of compassion up. Remember, it's not an on or off switch. It's something we can choose to engage in, actually. It's something that we can fine tune. It's something we can integrate into our lives. That's what we see with Jesus. He feels it and he lets it direct him towards the right action. I wanna invite you to do the same thing. That we need to not only feel compassion, but turn that dial up and to be aware of it and to respond to it. And especially under the direction of Jesus. That we need to live like him. So practically then, what does this mean for us? Well, today, today I want to give you three steps that I think can help us in the right direction. They're not perfect and they won't get us the full way there, but I do think they will help us in the right direction to become more compassionate, to become more like Jesus, to be aware of those feelings of compassion and empathy and co-suffering and kindness, and then to act on them. And the three steps I want to give to you are really simple. They are pray, they are pay attention, and then they're pray and listen to Jesus again. Okay, so they are pray, pay attention, and listen to Jesus. I want to explain what I mean. I think the first thing that we should do is that we should take Jesus's prayer really seriously. That when he teaches the disciples to go and to pray for more disciples, for more harvesters, for more workers, that we should do that. But we should not also forget the heart that we would be praying for, that we should be praying for workers and disciples who are more compassionate. Remember, that's what leads Jesus to that prayer, to teach the disciples to pray for that. So I think really practically, the first thing that we should do is that we should pray that we would have more compassion, amen? We should just pray that we should have more compassion because when we do that, we look like Jesus. So we should be praying for ourselves. God, give us more compassion. Help us to enlarge our hearts to have more compassion to those around us. When Jesus sees a need, when he sees a crowd, when he sees people hurting, compassion goes out from him. It should be the same as us as Christians. So pray for compassion. Pray for compassion. Pray for compassion. Pray it would be within you. Pray it would be within like your home church, our church here, you know, this community, all of that, pray, pray, pray. Because here's what I believe. I believe that prayer changes things. And I believe that if you pray for compassion, it will change your heart and start to enlarge it and allow us to turn that dial up a little bit to be able to actually live and respond to more uh, with more compassionate action. Secondly, then, I want to invite you not only to pray for compassion, I want to invite you to pay attention for your emotions and your response to it, okay? I want to invite you to pay attention to your emotions of compassion and your response to it. And here's what I mean by that that I think it is very possible in a day and age to be going about our day, our days and our lives and to all of a sudden interact or to see something where you get hit with that gut punch of compassion. I wanna invite you to pay attention when you have that response, when you feel that emotion. Here's what I wanna invite you to reflect on. Do you turn that dial up? Do you engage? Do you respond to it? Do you let God direct you in the midst of it? Or do you ignore it? Do you deny it? Do you downplay it? Do you distance yourself? Because what we see very clearly in the disciples, and I can also say that I see this in myself so very frequently, which is why this is such a practical and needed sermon, even for me, okay? What we see is that sometimes when we see a need, we distance ourselves, right? Because that's what happens, isn't it? The disciples see a need and they say, actually, God, like Jesus, can you just send them away, right? Let them go buy their own food. Let them go someplace else. There is distance and separation and splitting that sometimes rather than feeling compassion and engaging, we actually see a need and we disengage. So I want to invite you to just pay attention to your emotions and your response. Because what Jesus is really clear is that he wants to invite them into action because he says you feed them and then he directs them in that. So what I want to invite you to do today is first to pray to be a person of compassion. Then pay attention when you feel compassion. What's your response? Does it look like Jesus or does it look more like the disciples? Right? Which way are you kind of living? And then lastly, what I want to invite you to do is that when you feel that gut punch of compassion, when you feel something, you see something that's so wrong that you're moved towards action, what I want to invite you to do is just really simple. I want to invite you to listen to Jesus for how to act on it, okay? I want to invite you to listen to Jesus for how to act on it, because this is just true. Our world is complex, our world is messy, relationships are complex. It's sometimes really hard to know what is the right thing to do when you see a deep need, right, because sometimes it's just difficult right? Sometimes we have to be aware of people without boundaries and the meshing and all of that. Sometimes we have to be aware that we are not like saviors running in to fix everything. I think we really need to pay attention to how Jesus directs us and asks us to move and respond. If you notice in the story of the fish, that actually happens. Jesus tells the disciples what to do of how to meet that need. And I think that we should be doing the same thing. We should pay attention for when we feel this real deep, you know, yearning towards compassion towards someone. We should then be listening to Jesus asking, how should I respond? What do I do? How do I act? This is what really sets this message apart from just like a general call to be a kind person or to be socially active, making our world a better place. All that stuff matters. But today, today I'm not asking you just to act kindly and compassionately. I am really asking you and challenging you, would you act compassionately and kindly under the direction of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to let him guide you? Because our world is complex. And sometimes it's just hard to know what to do. And that's where I think we need to lean into both Jesus and the emotions. To feel the compassion, let that drive us towards Jesus, so that then we are directed in the right way towards one another. I want to give you a practical example of what this might look like. Because sometimes it's complex in our day and age in our lives for how to actually live this stuff out. So I want to share with you a story of my own personal life where I struggle with how to show compassion and where I think prayer really matters with it. Um, And to begin with, um, this happened just a few weeks or months ago, Um, and I don't often talk about this, and we don't really need to get into it too deeply, but I often in my own personal life very strongly feel God directing me to do very specific things. This isn't um, unnatural or abnormal for me, Um, and often what it looks like is honestly like subtle spirit speaking to me, like nudges, that sort of thing, and this happened to me uh, a few weeks or months ago. And what happened was I felt God tell me to go return a piece of of something that I bought to fix in our house from Home Depot. And the reason I know for sure this was God, because ne- generally, I, I just hate returning things. I never do this. I actually usually force Chris to do this, like, all the time, because I get, like, weird, and uncomfortable. I just hate that in general. So I knew it was God because I never really feel like I want to do this. The part that I was returning, I think it was also, like, three or four dollars. It sat in, like, our closet for months. And also, on top of that, it was my Sabbath. So this was something I would never choose to do, right? It was just something that would never occur to me on my Sabbath to go in to do this. I feel, like, strongly that God kind of directs me that I need to go do this, and so I do. Um, And often when these kind of feelings happen to me, often uh, when they happen, what I know then is I should be listening and looking and waiting and watching for what God might have for me. Often there's like a random uh, encounter I could never have orchestrated or a conversation or something happens that if God's directing me to a place, I just pay attention for why. And so I get to Home Depot and I'm standing in line and it's COVID, right? and this person comes up quite close behind me, like quite close, like they're at the spots to sand, and the spots to stand are not being followed and it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, so I kind of like turn around to see who it is and I notice that this person is very jittery, like very jittery, they seem quite unnerved and agitated. I also then uh, kind of notice that the person is not dressed like appropriately for the weather, right? like it's winter and they're in like rain boots and pajamas and things just seem like off in general and they look at me, say something I couldn't quite understand and then they like run off and they leave all their stuff there. I'm like, okay. Like instantly for me, I'm like, is this someone I'm supposed to be interacting with? Is this why I'm supposed to be here returning this $3 part that I don't even really care about and would like to leave? And the person that all of a sudden starts yelling and screaming and comes back and she says, is my stuff okay?" I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it for you. Go do whatever you need to do. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Goes and gets what they need. Um, and it's still quite agitated. I start to realize that there's likely some mental health things that are going on. It's just, I'm unsure of what to do. Uh, the people at Home Depot uh, they invite the lady behind me um, who is quite agitated to come in front of me I think this is a great idea I say sure go ahead and they're dealing with her incredibly compassionately it looks that way to me I was actually quite impressed by how caring they're being uh, but something goes a bit sideways like I'm not sure what happened but something goes sideways where all of a sudden now things are being thrown there is screaming there is yelling there's a giant scene and I'm like standing there holding my three dollar part like just unsure of what to do And I have this feeling then of that like real gut punch for this lady because there's nothing that's clearly going right for her in this moment or maybe for many days or who knows how many months in her life. It just seems like things are so difficult and she's just yelling and she's screaming. I just don't know what to do. So you want to know what I did? I did nothing. I just didn't know what to do. I was just frozen. I felt that need for compassion and to help and to care. I just had no idea in this complex, messy, whatever's going on. She ran out of the store and I was kind of stood there with my bag of $3 parts, whatever else, and I, you know, Returned it and went back to my car. I'm sitting in my car, and I'm feeling I'm feeling kind of like a failure, actually, in that moment. Because I really felt like God had sent me to that store for some reason. It's clear to interact with this person, and yet I didn't know what to do. And yet I got so overwhelmed, I just kind of stood there frozen. And then I noticed that the lady's in the back of the parking lot, and um, it's the same kind of behavior that is going on. And I honestly didn't know what to do. I honestly didn't know what to do. So I started to pray. That's all I did for her. I started to pray. And I know. Like, often in like pastor stories like this, there's some like miraculous ending where everyone comes to know Jesus. That is not what happened at all. What literally happened in this story is all I did was sit in my car and pray for that lady for quite a while because I didn't know what to do. How do you actually help someone in that situation? How do you preserve their dignity, right? You want to make sure that's happening. And she was quite aggressive. So how do I, I don't, I just don't know what the right thing to do was. And so I sat there and I prayed and I share with you this story. I share this story, not because I did the right thing, please, I I am under no illusions. I didn't know what the right thing to do and I'm still unsure about what the right thing to do was. I share with you this story to just realize how complex actually acting with compassion in our day and age is. It can be difficult to know, but here's here's why I share this story. Because the next bit is what actually really stood out to me. Now, I don't like overly spiritualizing things in general, so you can take or leave this, but this is really what I felt God shared to me in that moment as I'm praying for her. He asked me, why is praying for her not responding of compassion he asked me why does this not count why are you discounting that I sent you to pray for her in that day and I can tell you I've been praying for that lady so consistently since I had that odd interaction with her in Home Depot so what I want us to know out of this story is this is not at all like I did the right thing. What I want us to realize is that uh, acting with compassion can be complex and messy, and we need to pray to Jesus about what to do. And even if what we don't know what to do, guess what? There is always something you can do. There is never an option for nothing. You can always pray intentionally and deeply for a person with, uh, that's having any sort of needs whatsoever. What I want to say as Christians is that we don't have the option of doing nothing. Because if we encounter something that is really complex and unsure, and there's a lot of things going on, we should be moved by compassion. We should pray to Jesus and say, what should we do? And if we don't know what to do, prayer is always an answer. That we can always do that. We can always put in effort because prayer does change things. So what I wanna invite you to do today is I wanna invite you and to challenge you to be a person of compassion, okay? I wanna invite you to pray for compassion. I wanna invite you to pay attention for those moments where you have that gut punch of a hit of compassion, where you realize that you need to do something. And when you feel that, I wanna really invite you to pray to Jesus about what to do. Let him direct you, let him tell you what to do. And even if it's complex and messy, and you don't know what to do, then this is my challenge for you too. Would you pray for whoever it is that you are interacting with? Would you pray for that person that you see or that experience that's leading you with compassion? What I think we need to do, I think we need to do is to get more aligned with Jesus and his compassion. Because what we see with Jesus is that he feels compassion and he always acts out of it, he responds and as the perfect son, the son of God, he always responds rightly, I think for us, then what we need to do is we need to pray, we need to pay attention, and then we need to listen to how Jesus directs us. What is he inviting us into? How does he invite us to actually respond to that feeling of compassion? And then I do want to take away that kind of excuse, well, there's nothing I can do. Because that's simply untrue. That's even what I learned sitting in my van by myself or my car that day at Home Depot. There is always something we can do. And prayer is kind of the bare minimum of what we can do as Christians, that we are called to pray for those around us. So let us act with compassion. Let us listen to Jesus. Let him direct us. And let us tune up that dial of compassion. Because that's what we see in Jesus. And that's what we should be seeing in ourselves. That if Jesus was moved by compassion, so should we. And that's my challenge for us this week. Would you pray? Would you pay attention? And then listen to how Jesus directs you so that we might not only become more people of compassion, that we might share more compassion with the world around us that desperately needs it. And we pray. Uh, would you join with me in prayer uh, this morning? So with that, God, I ask, I ask, might you fill our hearts with compassion? God, I pray, would you enlarge our hearts with more compassion? I pray, God, would we live and love and look more like you? Would we feel the same things that you feel? And then would we act in response to you and to those needs around us? I pray, God, would we have courage to be obedient to when you ask us to do even miraculous and amazing things like where you say to the disciples, you feed them. Would we act with courage and with faith and with obedience? And I pray, God, will we never ignore or deny our feelings of compassion that you give to us. Instead, Lord, might we respond to them faithfully and obediently. Might we respond in light of guidance and direction from you. And might we respond, God, consistently so that our world might be filled with more compassion and more life and more love. And might we be a part of that. And we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And so to close our series today, we want to close also where we began with remembering that before we act with Hased or compassion or kindness, that we actually need to receive that from God. So We want to invite you in this moment to continue to worship with us, to receive that kindness and compassion, and then to act that out in response this week, to live in obedience like Jesus did, feeling compassion and then sharing that with those around him. Let's do that now together.